Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women's Scholars and Professionals podcast. My name is Anne Boyd, and I'll be your host. We at Women's Scholars and Professionals are here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. As I'm recording this, it's November 2023, and the beginning of Advent is rapidly approaching in just a couple of weeks on December 3rd. But what exactly is Advent, and how can we observe it well? Anglican priest and author Tish Harrison Warren joined us on the podcast for a discussion of her recent book, Advent, The Season of Hope. Tish's background as a campus minister with InterVarsity's graduate and faculty ministries gives her special insight into the busy nature of December, and she offers practical and grace-filled advice for praying through Advent as an academic. The book isn't an Advent devotional, but instead it orients the reader to the practices and traditions of Advent and suggests ways to integrate them into life today. It's a fascinating book, and I think you'll like this conversation. We have a special place in our hearts for Tish, and it's a joy to chat with her about life, writing, theology, Advent, and everything in between. Also, I'm pleased to tell you that InterVarsity Press is offering a discount for listeners of this podcast. Just use the code IVPPOD25, that's IVPPOD25, for 25% off and free shipping when you purchase Tish's book at ivypress.com. You can find a link to the book and the discount code in the show notes. And if you listen to the end of the podcast, I've included an excerpt in which Tish shares her thoughts on Advent wreaths and Advent calendars. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Tish Harrison Warren is a priest in the Anglican Church in North America. She is the author of Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life, and Prayer in the Night for Those Who Work or Watch or Weep, two books that won Christianity Today's Book of the Year Award. Tish has written a weekly newsletter for the New York Times, and she is a columnist for Christianity Today. For over a decade, Tish has worked in ministry settings as a campus minister with InterVarsity's graduate and faculty ministries, as an associate rector, and with addicts and those in poverty through various churches and nonprofit organizations. She is a founding member of the Pelican Project and a senior fellow with the Trinity Forum. She lives with her husband and three children in Austin, Texas. Before we move on to the interview, let me encourage you to check out the show notes for details about our Advent devotional readings at The Well for 2023. We'll be praying through a free online devotional by Kate Bowler and meeting a few times online to discuss and reflect, and we'd love to have you join us. And one more thing. This will be our last episode for 2023. We're already working on a lineup of terrific guests for the new year, 
and we'll be thrilled to be with you again in January 2024. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. Well, Tish, welcome back to the podcast. You are officially the most frequent guest on our podcast. Oh, I think well, this that's is great. Episode four with you. I always say yes to the well because it's well, where I got my start as a writer. Well, and our listeners just love you. So <laughs> I well, love them too. Oh, good. I love the well still. It's not just because it's my, I mean, I also like believe in the mission of women in the academy and professions, but also yeah. I have a personal, it's a, the well is, I mean, I, someone this morning that I met said, how did you get started at the times? And it kind of also, I mean, there was many, many years between, but the first place I wrote was the well. Yeah. So. We still have those articles up and they're some of our favorites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, it's like, so I haven't gone back to look at them because I'm worried I would cringe just because it was so long ago and I was so, so new as a writer, but yeah, sure. I'm grateful. <laughs> Thank you for that. Last time you were on the podcast was about a year ago. And I'm wondering how your 2023 has been. What's, what is life (laughs) like for you these days? Do you have fun reflections or things you're looking forward to? Man, it's been a big year. It's been a really big year. Um, I, you know, wrote for the New York times weekly, um, did I, that was for the last two years. So that wasn't really just, um, starting last year, but it continued, uh, for last year. And then, then, you know, um, kind of big news with that is in August, I left, um, the times I left doing the newsletter. I hope to still write for the times some, um, I mean, I just didn't want to do it weekly. Um, and, and so I would, you know, we're all friends. Everybody's friends. I love the times. They love me. So we hope, hope to write for them again more, but left my weekly post in August. Um, and, um, am now technically on sabbatical. I say technically, because it hasn't felt wildly restful. I was having fantasies that it would be very restful, but Mm -hmm. it's been, you know, life has happened. I have three kids. Things have come up. Uh, and then I guess the other big thing we, we sort of, this is a very long story, but my husband and I kind of ended up um, sort of planting, replanting a, a church. Um, so we are pastors of that. That's really new. That's only about five weeks old. Wow. Um, and, and that's sort of a long story, not something we were planning on doing, but there was a community that, um, came together that, that had sort of been felt, um, uh, adrift and kind of, and, and sort of left behind in ways by their own churches. And so asked us to be their pastors. And so we're still figuring it out and what we're going to do with that. But I, I would say, I think probably looking back on 2023, the, the big headlines of my life will be, um, leaving the times and going on sabbatical and sort of figuring out next steps for me. And then us as a family kind of taking on this church and um, all that that has meant, which has been busy. And that was very unplanned. It wasn't um, 
unplanned church pregnancy in that sense. But we, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was a surprise after my sabbatical and that ended up making it pretty full. And then I don't know what else to say about, you know, 2023. It was a very full summer for me. It was blazing hot record temperatures in Texas. So that was kind of mm-hmm. hard. And then, you know, we're, we moved, actually. We we lived kind of out in the country on the outskirts of Austin, uh, or not even really in Austin, in a city near it, um, but out in the country on sort of a family homestead out there. And um, we moved into the city. So we are, we are urbanites once again. I've spent most of my life very urban. And um, there was a brief break from that. And then... Um, we moved into the city. So it's been a big year of transition with moving. And um, I thought we, we've, we were just sort of outside the city and came in. So we still have a lot of the same friends and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. We didn't have, wasn't like we moving states or anything, but yeah, it's a bit, bit been a big year with uh, church and work and moving. So, yeah. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah. Now if we can get, I think I'll also look back on this year. I'm saying this partly because we're, you know, talking on the well people, women, but I think uh, a a huge struggle of this year has been um, if we can get my son potty trained, I think things would be okay. But it's been, that has been a massive uphill battle. So we have the last kid in diapers and I hope Oh dear God! I hope twenty twenty four sees that being no longer the case. No, no more kids in diapers is, yeah. is my hope. Yeah, it's a relatable struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot. We also got a dog this year, so that's been a joy. That's so fun, but first, also complicated. First pet, you know, our dog is not. I mean, my friend and my friend Amy actually said when I heard you guys got a dog, I got worried because I feel like your life is so chaotic that it would add more chaos. But then she met Herbie and said, "Your dog is the only dog that brings down the chaos in a home. Like he's a <laughs> he's a cat dog. He's very chill, and basically he's like a breathing." rug like he just he just wants to he just wants to chill out all the time and he can't he's a rescue he doesn't like loud noises so he makes all of us be much calmer and quieter Mm. than we would be otherwise or he'll freak out so he's actually he's like a he's a he's sort of a cross between a, a cat and a dog and um like a, a very intense librarian that just goes around and makes sure no one is loud at any time. So <laughs> that sounds pretty great. <laughs> well, Tish, this episode is coming out right around right before Advent starts. So I would love to talk to you about your new book, Advent, The Season of Hope. And you wrote this book as part of the Fullness of Time series that Esau Macaulay is putting together. I'm just wondering what it's been like to work on a series like this. Yeah, it's been so different than my other work because I've not ne- I've never worked on a series, and it, it's um it's great to get to partner with other people on a project and um. Esau originally came to me with this idea and we 
um, we we were going to be co-editors. Actually, we kind of um, came up with a, a sort of a list of people that we wanted to be part of it and kind of conceive the project. And then I ended up bowing out, um, but partly because uh, I had a baby, and so it just it was a lot. And so he, I, but I stayed on as an author. Um, and it's been really good. It's been, it's, it's really different than the other books in the sense, well, in a couple of senses, number one, um, you know, the other books, uh, particularly my adult books, I'm thinking Liturgy, The Ordinary and Prayer in the Night are, were totally, you know, my own sort of ideas. They were, it was birthed really out of me and my own thinking. Um, and this, you know, was more like an assignment. It was yeah. more like, would you, I mean, he called me and said, you can pick Lent or Advent, which do you want, you know? And I really said, either one is fine with me. Um, I I think I had a slight preference towards Advent. Um because I, it's my favorite liturgical season. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just kind of vibe with it. Also Lent is great, but it's really dark. I mean, Advent is dark too, and deals with darkness a lot, but Mm -hmm. it feels, feels slightly more hopeful to me. (laughs) Lent's just really intense. And, uh, so he took Lent, I took Advent, but because of that, it, it was a bit of, I mean, it was assigned, uh, for me to do this. Um, the other thing is I just think, in ways, the book is more practical than my other books. Mm-hmm. I hope that there's still moments of real beauty in it. But the other books, you know, I wanted to sort of like be very lyrical. I wanted them writing to be beautiful. And and it's not that I didn't with this, but there's much more of an instructive nature to this book. Like it's meant to be instructive for churches and small groups. It's yeah. meant to convey a lot of information it's meant to be something where if you've never heard of Advent or if you've been practicing Advent a long time, you can sit with it and learn something. Um, and of course, not that Prayer in the Night or Liturgy of the Ordinary were not, they they were also meant to teach in some sense. But I feel like I wanted in, in those books um, kind of the... Uh, it was, I wanted them to be extremely non-didactic, um, whereas this book is is much more explicitly like here is the here's something about Advent. Like let yeah. me teach you about Advent. Um, so there is, there are moments of sort of contemplation. I I hope for beauty. I hope for lyricism. But there I would say overall is that was less of my goal anyway than. Um, I do want people to be able to read these devotionally, but they're not primarily devotion books. They're really meant to escort you into the practice of the season yeah, and teach you about the history of the season, the, the prayers and scriptures of the season. Um, and because, you know, and also they needed to sort of like fit the tone and fit the um, format of the rest of the books in the series, because the idea, like I, people are feel free to read this on your own and um, for Advent, but 
um, once all of the books are out, you'll, you'll be able to buy them all together and theoretically yeah. walk through a whole calendar year, learning a little bit about each season that you're in. And then it was really made for, you know, small groups and church with small groups and churches in mind to read it together. So, um, yeah, I think, um, in, in that way, and, and it's just shorter, it's half size a oh, regular sure, yeah. book. And so, um, it was just a really different kind of project. It was really meant for churches and small groups, although individuals are welcome to read it. And I would encourage you to, it was really meant to be, um, uh, something, you know, for a specific season. It's not that people can't read this in August, but you know, it's kind of made the intention of it. I mean, I think on the last page, I like wish people a happy advent, you know, the idea is that they would read it sort of, in or around the season of Advent. Um, whereas Liturgy of the Ordinary and Prayer in the Night obviously are much bigger themes of ordinary life, of suffering, things that can really be um, kind of any season of the year. Um, so I hope this book has staying power in the sense that, you know, Christians will still be practicing Advent 10 years, 50 years, 100 years from now, just as they have been since, you know, the fourth century. But um, I think, so I hope people continue to read it, but it is kind of geared towards that particular season. Well, I really loved it. And I think you, you achieved your aims. I was really predisposed to like this book because I love Advent and I also love your writing. So having them all together, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it was pretty, it was, it it did not disappoint. Um, but I want to, so I I would love to, I took just several notes as I was going through and I'd love to ask you about a few things in particular. Um, so first there was, you had this wonderful thing you said early in the book, you write part of why we observe Advent is to make Christmas weird again, to allow the <laughs> shock of incarnation to take us aback once more. And so that phrase made me laugh out loud, Take make Christmas weird again. And it's so true. I mean, Christmas and Advent has all become so entangled with like cultural expectations of celebration and feasting. And it's really tough to get clear on the purpose. So mm-hmm. how would you recommend, like, how can we start to untangle the practice of Advent in our own lives? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, so I'm, I live in Austin, which the, you know, keep Austin weird. What is like the <laughs> catchphrase of Austin. So I think I had that in mind of like, Christmas has become so tame, so sentimental, when it's really this proclamation of the super weird thing, you know, like the, the notion of like God becoming a man, um, is crazy. And the, the story of Christmas is, is wild and, um, and completely unexpected. Right. I think it's become so rote now that it's almost like, you know, um, the people of, first century Bethlehem would be like, yon, yon, yon. We've seen this before, right? In the peanut special. But I think um, (laughs) it would have been so almost inscrutable, uh, incomprehensible what's happening and confusing and weird and unbelievable. And um, yeah, and also absolutely unnoticed by the vast majority of people, you know, just 
insignificant. Um, and so um, in that part, I'm talking about kind of placing ourselves in the story that we're, I talk about Advent as a way, and the, I think this is true, the church calendar in general, of as a way of kind of immersing ourselves in the story of scripture as, as characters. It's an imaginative exercise of being not just sort of observing this narrative, but taking part in it, joining in it, yeah. being a player in it. And I think um, to put ourselves back, you know, the vast majority of, of, of sort of focus of Advent readings are in are the Old Testament um, or pre-Christ uh, in the New Testament, you know, um, John the Baptist kind of readying the way of Christ. And so um, to get in that space of those people struggling, faithfully waiting, hoping for a Messiah is part of what kind of sh the shock of, it should shock us again. Mm -hmm. Um how that looks practically in our lives is really hard because Advent has been so eaten by Christmas, right? But in, yeah. um, by uh, kind of um, the American Western con consumeristic or capitalistic approach to um, Christmas time, you know, this time leading up to Christmas has really consumed Advent. And so um, the practice of the practices of Advent are sort of inherently weird. Um, if you live in the West and if you, you know, <laughs> are an American or anyone living in America. Um, I remember uh, my friend, I think it was my friend Thomas McKenzie told me the story, or maybe I, I actually saw this in the same mall, but we were walking the, he, there was a mall in Nashville and it, it, um, outside of something, one of those body, like the body shop or bed, bath. it wasn't bed, bath and beyond. It was like, um, uh, what's the one that has all the like lotions and stuff. Um, oh, I can't bath and body works. Yeah. yeah. Bath and body works. One of those stores like that, sure. you know, but they, they had a sign up that said, um, during Christmas, their little marquee said, Oh, come let us adore you. Oh. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so the notion of <laughs> I mean Christmas has become so I mean, that's a that's a picture of like Christmas is essentially focused on on ourselves on pleasure on a consumerism on sort of indulgence and um and Advent is this thing that just says absolutely turns our eyes from away from us in mm -hmm. some significant ways to this much bigger story of um, <laughs> God's salvation of all the cosmos. Uh, and so, and, and the long narrative of that, you know, the, the theodrama of, of the world. And so, um, so, so in a, in a sense, the posture is totally different, but also the practices. I mean, it's weird to take up fasting in the beginning of December when right. the the whole world is sort of, uh, you know, it's the hap happiest season of all, and you're you're taking up fasting. and And I think that's part of the trick of Advent. I think you know we don't want to be people that are dour or you know 
marching around in some sort of puritanical way, slapping down all the fun that we right. see. Um, but to adopt a, pa- a, a posture of, of preparation before the celebration of Christmas, which then makes Christmas weird because really, and I, and I can't stress this enough, I'm not sure I say this in the book, and I actually kind of regret that. I, I, I might say, I think I probably do say it, but um, is that if you do take a bad bit, it's also really important to make Christmas jo- as joyful as possible mm-hmm. and as fun as possible for the whole 12 days. I feel yeah. sorry for Baptists that experiment with Advent and then get their one Christmas day. It's just too sad. To, <laughs> it, it takes all the... <laughs> Um, so you really have to just keep it, keep it going, you know, all 12 days, but even through epiphany. So you get 13 days of, um, of, of feasting. Um, and, uh, so the, that, that place of preparation, I think makes, uh, Christmas startling again. And what, and I said, Christmas is weird in the sense that it's kept most people sort of in Christmas in America, in a sort of American consumer Christmas is over by, you know, around the 30th, 31st. And so to keep it going even longer takes, uh, it takes stamina, you know, it's, um, as I, I, one of my favorite things Andy Crouch has said actually was by a tweet, which he would find ironic, uh, because (laughs) he's the tech wise guy, but, uh, years ago, he tweeted out sometime during Christmas, He, you know, it was like the eighth or ninth day of Christmas. And he was like, um, you know, you have to be disciplined to keep celebrating, keep being joyful, keep making merry. I don't remember what he said mm-hmm. exactly, but what he said, he said, it's difficult. We are not used to prolonged joy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. I don't, I think that we struggle with having prolonged joy. And I think part of the point of Advent is to, is to sort of in its limitations and it's um, in the tension, even that you're describing between kind of the cultural celebration of Christmas and Advent and that, that in that tension, I almost think of it as like, um, if you've ever pulled back like a, um, a, a slingshot or something that you throw, that's kind of in that tension then releasing that you're really released into joy, prolonged joy of, of 12 days, 12 days of Christmas and then the, the feast of epiphany. So, yeah, I think that it's kind of, it prepares us to be able to encounter Christmas in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. You have this great thing where you talk about um, repentance in Advent and you highlight this verse from Isaiah 30 that talks about in repentance and rest is your salvation Mm -hmm. that, and that that feels kind of, you know, contradictory, Mm -hmm. those two things. Um, And I really think that dynamic is relevant to our audience here. Mm -hmm. And I mean, because I think our, our listeners I mean, we're uh, just a whole set of overachievers. We're trying to do things <laughs> right. And so, and in fact, I remember, you know, maybe 10 years ago or so when my kids were quite young, I put all of this pressure on myself to do, 
to like do Advent perfectly. We had this whole thing where we had like readings and candles and, you know, as the family. And then I also felt like I had work to do, you know, for mm -hmm. my job. And then I also was trying to prepare everything for the Christmas day. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of preparations to happen mm -hmm. and I, I would end up having insomnia basically mm. for all of Advent because I was so stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> I wow. let some of those things go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess how, how do you, like, how would you advise someone to enter into that, like repentance and rest, especially women academics who are also, you know, it's the end of the semester. People are grading. It's, I know it's tough. It's right? true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I was doing campus ministry, always feeling like um, there, because, because I, I highlighted this like cultural difference between the celebration of Christmas and, you know, it's the happy, happiest time of the year and we're having parties and that sort of thing. And then also like sort of Christian uh, Advent and Christmas and, and, uh, I, I'm not making some kind of distinction there. You can go to your office party and have fun and not practice Advent and still be a Christian. I'm just saying Christian <laughs> calendar versus like Gregorian calendar sure. kind of thing. Um, and so I I highlighted that, but but there's this other academic calendar that um, I always felt like was so um, <laughs> so counter to both in many ways, like both, yeah. because it just is like the, it's when everyone's in finals and for my students, my grad students in particular, it was just the most exhausting and stressful time of the year. Yeah. And so, um, there wasn't a lot of preparation for Christmas, but there wasn't a lot of joy either. It was just, it was just a hard time in a right. lot of ways. In some ways I'm like, Advent's great for that. You know, it's really easy to lament, and to say, come Lord Jesus, when you're, you know, when it's like past midnight and you're still in the lab or you're still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're still, you're still, you know, pouring over some French literature or something. It's easy to see the, your need for salvation and the return of Christ, I think, and your weakness. But, but it's also a time that's just so full of stress and really, um, difficult to be sort of centered on, on certainly on the grand sweeping story of Jesus's rescue of all the cosmos, but even on like, I, you know, ha, have I showered? Have I gotten three right. meals like in days, you know, that, that sort of thing. So, um, I think it's particularly hard, I think for people kind of around the academic world, cause it is just a, it's a counter calendar, just like, um, the, the, more broad, you know, more shared calendar and also the Christian calendar. Um, the repentance and rest thing is hard for me to address because I still feel like I struggle with it so deeply. Mm. Like those just feel in so many ways um, contradictory to me because repentance feels like do better, essentially. Right, right. Um, do more, do better. Uh, and rest is like, cut yourself some slack, you know, like take some time off, like get comfortable. Um, it's because I think that I just fundamentally don't understand what repentance is. I think mm -hmm. I struggle to really understand what repentance is. And so can have a very 
uh, uh um, almost um Pelagian would be the, the theological term understanding repentance or um uh, a, a, a more maybe under broadly shared term would be something like a perfectionist understanding of repentance or a self-focused or legalistic understanding of it where it i i don't i really don't think the biblical idea of repentance is just do better i i think that can be that's just throwing another brick on a very heavy load um for a lot of folks i think repentance i talk about this in the book but um, you know, and, and this is not my idea. I got this from John Mark Homer, who got this from, um, I think a Catholic priest that I quote, but, um, is rethinking the world from the ground up. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's seeing the world in new eyes. It's, um, displacing oneself from the center of the universe to, to really throwing oneself on God for rescue and salvation. I mean, I, my uh, mentor and friend Hunter uh, Dockery and I were talking about this recently, and I, I kind of said, you know, I, I think my view of repentance feels very kind of self-generated, and and he talked about a time of repentance where he a- actually feels like deep repentance is a place where you almost get to where you're like, God, I don't even know how I got here, so there's no way I can get myself out of it. Like, I don't even know how my, my patterns of behavior and thinking have, I'm not even sure how I got to this place. So I know I can't find my way out by doing better. I need you to intervene. I need you to be the center and the rescuer and the, and the savior again. I, is the, goes back to the advent, you know, um, that, um, of the idea of that we need a ransom, we, you know, that we like the, we mourn in lowly exile here until the mm-hmm. son of God appears that we need r- rescue. And so uh, I think repentance is much more of a posture of, of, of inviting God into the dark airless chambers of our life and heart to do whatever God is going to do to make things new, you know, to change that. And will that sometimes, I mean, often will that result in, you know, quote unquote, better behavior, doing better? Like, um, may, I mean, I think it results in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But I don't think that's self-generated. I think that that's, I think that's a place of actually God transforming us. And I often don't trust that God will. And so I feel like I need to jump in and get my hands, you know, get busy and get my hands dirty and like change myself through Mm -hmm. my work and will. help my children through my perfect advent practice, you know, help, (laughs) help the world through like me attaining whatever, like seeking justice, right. And, and caring for the needy, right. And also practicing the faith, right. And also, you know, and they can just become repentance can be another sort of way of, of, of me trying to kind of ransom my own soul. Um, 
Whereas I actually think repentance is kind of throwing yourselves on the mercy of God and trusting that God actually can transform us and change us. And, um, and having a posture that, that says, you know, come help. I'm open to, to you, you calling the shots in a lot of ways. And, you know, sometimes maybe him calling the shots might look like Advent's less impressive or doesn't even happen, you know, or, um, or that we are less impressive (laughs) or whatever. And I, I, yeah. So I think for perfectionists or for overachievers, um, repentance, I'll speak for me, repentance can become like another thing to achieve, to check Mm -hmm. off the list, to do. And I just think that is not what repentance is. And so if I were to understand repentance much more as letting God into these dark places in my life, letting, you know, letting God transform reality from the ground up, um, that actually involves much more freedom, much more rest, and resting in who God is, resting from my own self-salvation attempts, um, resting from anxiety. The, I, I think that repentance does in, involve that if we, if we kind of embrace a biblical understanding of what repentance is, mm-hmm. um, which is ultimately encounter and transformation with Jesus, healing from Jesus. Yeah. And I, but I just, I don't, I think, I, I do not think that's like my default understanding of repentance. So I think my default understanding really um, pulls, pulls away from the idea of rest. But so I have to constantly sort of relearn what repentance is. I have to repent for my repentance, right? <laughs> I have to get to the point of, Lord, I don't even know how to repent. That's, that's how, and so that, that's how much I need help as I, I can't do better because I don't even know what better is right now. So, yeah. Well, and I think part, when I think about this, part of what is difficult for me in Advent is um, the, there's an invitation to rest. There's an invitation to repentance, to reflection. And it is, and it feels like there is such limited time. I'm still mm. so tied to um, the calendars around me and the goals, mm-hmm. are, you know, that I have and the expectations on me. And I think that, you know, is that part of the of the struggle is that we're we're fighting against the the tyranny of our our schedules and our calendars and how to, how to, you know, how do we get out of that? Especially yeah. when they're real, there are real consequences. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I always struggle with the monastic fantasy. I mean, I was talking to a friend about this this morning <laughs> that like my, my fantasies are not, you know, whatever, winning the lottery. They're if I just had more time and a quiet space and like, could um, 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 you know, I, I mean, it's literally being like it, living in a monastery and um, how much better and closer to God and joyful I would be then. Um, 
and but it's a fantasy. It's not true. It's a way to actually sort of not encounter God in the actual life that I have, which just looks nothing like a monastery. So, I mean, at all. Sure. Um, so I think it's, I, I do think that Advent has practices of, of, of rest and repentance, but that's got to be blended with what our actual life looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be pretty small and unimpressive, like for the overachievers, like it's going to feel like, you know, rest might be literally like going to bed a half hour earlier. If you can, it might literally be like taking up the practice of the Sabbath. And if that feels too much to bite off, if you're, if you're new to that practice, you know, taking up the practice of like a six hour Sabbath, you know, like it or something small. I think reflection for me um, has to just look really, really small. Um, and, and, and I fail at it all the time, but you know, something like literally I'm talking five to 10 minutes of silence in the morning, um, something like that. Um, and just, I mean, there's, there's been so many times in podcasts where I've been like, I, I do this every day. Like I, I tend to, whatever, I tend to try to carve out 10 minutes in the morning of silence. And then, and then I say, well, you know, by every day, when I say every day, I mean, three times a week. I mean, it's just <laughs> nothing's every day. I don't even brush my teeth every day. So that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, I'm trying to make this a daily practice, which means mm-hmm. it'll be like a hat, you know, four, four out of seven days practice. So I think that, uh, I mean, more power to you if you're in the place and space of life or just have a strength of will or discipline that I don't have, which there are personalities that, that are not like mine that do, that do better with this, but that if it can be more, I think, I I do think there is a, to the extent that we can invite, you know, more kind of contemplative monastic practices into our ordinary life is good. But I also think like, this just has to like, especially knowing, know your season of life and, um, and have really bite-sized versions of this. You know, yeah. I, I think this is why a couple, a couple of things come to mind. One is it's very helpful to have a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. Um, if that is not something you have, it's something, it's not always something I've had, but it's very helpful because when I talk to my spiritual director, she's almost always encouraging me to do less. I, I don't mean necessarily like, you know, I can't quit my job or leave my kids or, but she, I mean that, she'll say, okay, like maybe this looks like, maybe if you need more silence in your life, it doesn't look like finding time for a four hour silent retreat. Maybe it looks like saying the Lord's prayer in the morning and leaving one to two minutes between every phrase, you know, our father, and then just literally sit for a few minutes who are in heaven you know, mm-hmm. it, I feel like she's always sort of like smaller, smaller, you know, like do this more often smaller. And I think that's helpful. I also think I have I told you this. I think I've told you this, that you're the the um, when I had very small children for Lent one year, I took up you wrote something about um, Ignatian prayer and something about like 
reflection in the round. Yeah. Do you remember this? It's a, an, an article we have on the wall. It's called journaling yeah. in the round. I still journaling do in the round. And I, um, from that art, that was when it, I, I've read lots of articles and that's probably one of the most helpful articles that I have ever done. And for Lent, and I don't do it very often, but for Lent that year, I did journaling in the round, um, which I had never heard of. So you're the one who told me about that. I made it article. up. <laughs> oh, you did? I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's incredibly helpful. I find you it really helpful. I've publish doing... a book on that. You it's... totally should publish a book on well, that. I think about that, but I don't know what else to say beyond that <laughs> article. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, that's legit. There are too many books that are just really, really good blog posts that have then been right. turned into books. But it was extremely helpful for me anyway. At least it should be, you know, fe- people should read it. It should be featured link widely. Um, that, uh, but it allowed, it was a way of reflection on a day that took a very small amount of time. And then with, and then I don't, I, I can't remember if in the article you couple this with Ignatian prayer. Yeah. yeah of sort of looking at the consolations, um, beauty of a day, and then the desolations, places of darkness in a day. And doing that, I remember there was a season, I did that for Lent, and then I kept doing it for a little bit. And I had very small kids. Things were really, really intense. We were pretty broke at the time. It was an intense, hard season where I didn't have a lot of space. And that practice was incredibly helpful, Um, particularly the Ignatian part of really recognizing the places of joy and the places of darkness. Because what I began to see over time is patterns that I didn't notice in the actual day, like things that consistently brought me joy and things that consistently did not bring me joy, brought me, um, you know, despair or frustration or sorrow that I kind of didn't notice on their own Mm because they were small moments. But then over time I kept realizing like, Oh, I get it. Well, this was one was I getting tremendous joy from helping teach kids to read. Yeah. That is like a place of joy. So out of that experience, I volunteered um, to read with other kids in my kids class. Uh, and again, like it, I was busy, so I could only do that, you know, very rarely during lunch, I would come in, it but it was, day. it was such a joy, <laughs> you know, it was such a joy. And so, um, yeah. I think Ignatian prayer can be really helpful and specifically yeah. Anne Boyd's article. You should read it. So <laughs> thank <yeah>. you. Well, <laughs> the, I do think Ignatian prayer is great for busy people. It's a really good point because what I find is that once you get in the habit of kind of reflecting at the end of the day, noticing where you feel connected with God, that then as those moments pop up, you start to notice them in the moment Yep, and you start to be able to appreciate them. And it really makes it so that even though you're maybe going a a million miles a minute, you can still sense God's presence in those, in those moments of consolation. And then you can identify the moments of desolation and, you know, try to bring those to God. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. It's good for busy people. Yeah. 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 I I mean, I'll also just say like Advent's been practiced by millions of people, billions of people for, you know, over a thousand years. So 
many of those people also felt busy or also had a lot happening. And so there are things like fasting um, and, you know, daily practices of prayer that you really can kind of do as you go. Um, That is really something that you can do in the warp and woof of life. Like Advent, of course, was practiced by monastics, but it's always been something that the church has done together more broadly. And so it's for ordinary people. It always has been. That's the whole point of it. You have a chapter on, I think it's four collects of Advent. Mm -hmm. And I love that chapter. Um, And I think, you know, it's maybe another thing that someone could do is just memorize one of those prayers mm-hmm. those colics and ha- carry that with them and and see what that brings up for them throughout it yeah 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 that's great that's beautiful yeah that's yeah. great yeah well this has been such a fun conversation and tish i'm wondering um i don't know do you are there things that are coming up for you i mean you're you're leading a new church do you have any other <laughs> It's mostly my husband that's leading a new church, okay. but I'm sort of helping. I'm technically, I'm supposed to be on sabbatical. You're so I'm sabbatical. really trying to not lead this new church. Okay. And I'm, but I'm there and I'm a priest. So I'm sort are of, you, are you looking forward to like, are you pondering like future writing projects or like what's, mm-hmm. what's coming up yeah. for you in the future? Yeah. So I actually have, I have a book. Um, I have a, I've already signed for a, a book. So I do have a writing project coming um, that is going to be on um, the, it's a theology of the body, the physical body. Hmm. Um, and so I'll have more on that. And um, and then uh, I don't know. I mean, I part of my sabbatical is kind of actively discerning what um, writing on a, on a, more sort of, uh, I'm not sure the word, but uh, 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 public facing media kind of, um, Mm -hmm. whether the Times, the Atlantic, that sort of thing. What I'm not, I'm kind of actively discerning what that's going to look like next. Um, So I will be working on this book and um, and then I'll be at least probably freelancing, but I'm not, I don't know what the frequency or pace of that will be. So that the, um, I've never taken a sabbatical before ever in my work in ministry or writing. Um, so I did this really after learning about sabbaticals from Andy Crouch. And then I did a piece on sabbaticals for the times that was pretty challenging for me. Um, in terms of like personally hearing, I had, I interviewed many, many people who, Mm. um, from academics, pastors, but also like business leaders and people kind of outside the box that, that somewhat radically decided to take a sabbatical. And so, um, I'm trying that for the first time ever. And, um, it's, it's supposed to be like a, um, well, there's not supposed to, but it, Andy has often sort of, um, loosely structured his as as deep rest, pilgrimage, and deep discernment. So mm-hmm. deep discernment is kind of part of what this is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm figuring out next steps, but the things that I know I'm 
I'm going to do because I, I have to legally, I'm contractually, I'm going to do, but also because, <laughs> I mean, I feel called to, but I'm saying like, wait, I have to do, we're, we're definitely doing this because we're, the money is spent, um, is, a is I will be writing books. So I'm excited yeah. about that. Part of, part of the, a huge part actually of, of stepping away from the times is I miss book writing. I really do yeah. love writing books and, um, and that wasn't something that I could do on a large scale, um, when, when I was writing weekly. So. Tisha's thoughts on Advent feel like a gentle invitation into depth of experience while also finding freedom from complexity and weighty expectations. I love her reflection on her spiritual director's encouragement to take small, manageable steps. That feels just right for Advent. I hope you check out Tisha's book, Remember that you can find a link to the book and the IVP discount code in the show notes. And don't forget to consider joining us as we read and discuss Kate Bowler's Advent devotional at the well. You can find all those details in the show notes. We hope to see you there. And if you listen to the end of the credits, you'll get to hear a bonus from our podcast where Tish shares a few more thoughts on Advent wreaths and Advent calendars. The Women Scholars and Professionals podcast is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters, so if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on this excerpt from my conversation with Tish. One of the things I kind of talk about a lot in my book is that um, those are not the most historic practices of Advent. And now they have been like, that's sort of like taken over the whole bit. Right. So I will just say though, that like the book does deal with Advent wreaths and calendars. And that does tend to be a pretty low bar kind of easy way that if you are very busy, like you can do an Advent wreath, like yeah. you can light four candles, doesn't have to look, I mean, don't put it on Instagram. It doesn't have to look Instagram worthy. <laughs> it can literally just be four candles. And, um, but that has been something that's been like kind of an easy but fun way to kind of get um, my family into it. But if you don't, if you don't have children, or that's been a great way for small groups to come together. It, we had Advent one Advent my small group. Everyone in the small group, um, I'm not in the small group anymore. This was in Nashville, but we all felt pretty worn out by a hard year. And for Advent, we got together and we did, we would get together. We did an Advent wreath and we did um, just the scripture readings for the day in Advent. Very short. I'm talking less than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would like sing, Oh, come, Oh, come, Emmanuel. And then we would eat dinner together. And it was just the most gentle kind of like, 
wasn't like hard into, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this on an university podcast and I know they're very into their, you know, um, what's the manuscript Bible study sure, is sure. not that <laughs> it was just a gentle practice of community that was really lovely. So I do think, um, Advent, just even historically, some of the, some of the practices are pretty manageable yeah. and very lovely. So yeah. That's great. Yeah. It seems like it's a lot of the practices I think are scalable that you can do them very simply, or you can go the American way and do it. The <laughs> <top>. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. 